the sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. Listeners, a job interview can feel a lot like a first date. So be sure and make the first impression well by preparing. Take the Get Hired Job Interview Storytelling course available for $199, which includes the online course and a group storytelling practice session so you can actually perfect the stories that you want to share. Visit elkinsconsulting.com for more information. You've been listening to this podcast for a while. You know that I'm especially fascinated with authenticity, identity, and relevance and how those things come to be for each individual based on their history and their stories and the things that they can uncover when they realize some of the ways they're getting in their own way. Today's guest, Brian Glukowski, is joining me thanks to an introduction by my brother, Eric Elkins. And I'm so grateful for your time today, Brian. Thanks so much for joining me. Yes, Sarah, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. I was eager to talk to you after we connected on LinkedIn and anyone my brother introduces me to is usually somebody I want to know because he has a really good sense of people. And I don't know if you're familiar with StrengthsFinder, but this is something that I kind of live and breathe right now as a coach with that tool. And he has connectedness as his number one talent. And that means that he instinctively knows not only who needs to know who, but he also knows why they need to know each other. And he has this big picture vision for how things are connected, almost like a spider web is in his head. And he understands how one tiny touch on one tiny edge of one tiny string of that, one tiny thread of that spider's web can reverberate through the entire thing. So that said, I'm so glad to have this conversation with you. We haven't gotten into, got into the real discussion yet, but you can think of metaphors and stories, two different answer types. They both create emotional connections. They do it in different ways. You know, so you can see the difference. For example, the story of Romeo and Juliet, that's a story. You know, I can tell you what that is, beginning, middle, and ending characters. And there's a metaphor associated with it, like star-crossed lovers. You know, so it's, you know, about having commanded these different answers as we navigate and make connections with each other. And very generous of you to start with a, a nice metaphor. Well, thank you. I, I love metaphor and analogy. Every time I have one that really vividly resonates with me, it's because there's an image associated with it in my head. So um, as a matter of fact, I even have an analogy at the end of my book, which is all stories, except for the very last one, where it's about being stuck behind a semi and how that feels sometimes not being able to pass when you are, you know, the the dirt is kicking up in your windshield and you can't see and you have to back off. And anyway, I could go on, but this is about you. So Brian, um, I'd love to start the way that I generally start with these. I love to hear something about my guest that most people might not know about them, something that is not going to be on your bio or your LinkedIn profile. And I'm hoping you can share something like that with us to give our listeners some context to the complexity of you as a human and in your work. 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you something uh, on the personal side uh, is I love coffee. I'm not really a connoisseur of much things in my life, but coffee I am. You know, the best beans in the world. I like Jamaican Mountain coffee, different machines and, you know, you know, drip and French press, all those different things and thinking through, um, you know, great coffee. So, you know, that's something, something about me, sort of the quest for the best coffee, free coffee every single day, but are we drinking the best cup of coffee? You know, that's sort of something I've been striving. So I have the, the, the best machine, you have a recommendation over testing, the best machine you can get, et cetera. So that. which one do you use? Uh, I, the, the best machine is a Mocha Master. That's a, you know, a high-end machine, and um, it just gets the temperature exactly right. You know, and, and it may seem like, well, don't most coffee machines do that? Not the same way. And then you got to think about, you know, the craft. Is it a glass craft or a metal craft? I used to think glass was better. It's actually metal is better. Um, so it, it holds the temperature better. Um, it, it, and there's uh, several other reasons. But um, anyways, Mocha Master, uh, in my opinion, is, is the best machine you can get. Well, we only drink espresso in our house. We do have a French press for when guests come and we need more than one cup at a time. Um, but we have a Gaggia. And um, we don't splurge on very much in our household. We just don't have a lot of luxury needs. But this Gaggia is a fabulous espresso machine. And we splurge on our coffee every week. We actually get um, beans from a local shop here that yes. costs more than what we used to pay for it. But now that we're empty nesting <laughs> and we're not buying coffee for four of us, it just seems like this one luxury that we own every day. And I can tell you, since we had our kitchen remodeled, I love to sit on the floor of our heated tile kitchen. I live in Montana, so it's cold in the winter and our kitchen is cold. So that floor is toasty. And I sit down with my espresso on the floor and just enjoy the moment of where I am and sipping my coffee. So when you started on this quest what was what was going on in your life do you remember were you um just recently married were you in college like what what was going on in your life when you started that quest well yeah let me answer that and you know before before i do just briefly say where i where i'm at right now and then thinking of the quest so basically i wrote a book about communication that looks at the role of answers in communication at a very high level, sort of, I did based on my research, we all know what questions are. You know, if I asked you how many, you know, different types of questions are there, you would provide an answer. You would say, you know, six question types, you know, the why, what, how, when, where, who, or open and closed questions. But if I was to ask you, how many different answer types are there? And really, up until my research, has not been a typology of answers, and I wanted to understand that typology and how answers could be used to navigate and influence those in the world around you. And so that's my book, and I'm doing work around that. Now, go backward in time, you know, I don't know, 15-plus years ago uh, or more, I'm horrible with time, but I was a PhD student. And when you're a PhD student, you know, really there you reify questions. You know, the research question, right? 
you know, designing the right questions for a survey. It's all about questions. And I remember I did a research project as a PhD student. It was about leadership. I identified all the best questions we could ask, all related to different theories, and put this together. My role is to, you know, put things in the survey the client would like. And uh, I was in Chicago, and the client was in Texas. They did the the survey, got the results, flew out to Texas, uh, reported to their executive team, and I was super excited. And they could care less. When we we did the feedback presentation, did Mac, it's in like. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this is sort of devastating. And, um, and that led me to reflect on the root cause of what went wrong there. And it was the fact that I was focusing on questions and I wasn't focusing on the answers they wanted and needed. And in AQ terms, I was focusing on it. I had answers and it was mostly about theories and concepts. But they wanted they wanted answers to procedures and actions they could use to, to directly strategic, eat. practical. This is what we can use to improve our leadership. Yeah, they they you know, and I would say the theory and concept were strategic, but they wanted practical answers, and really, I wasn't giving them that, or our team wasn't. We weren't focused on those, and so that was sort of the genesis of all this. Is that there are certain questions that map to certain answers. And you need to understand the answers people want and be able to provide those answers to people. If you don't, you're going to be, those on the recipient end are going to be not satisfied. And they weren't satisfied. Important questions weren't being asked. And just to punctuate this and make it very concrete, you know, an example I like to give is, you know, imagine you go to the convenience store, Wal, Wal, uh, Walgreens or CVS, and you ask the clerk a basic question. How do I find the Mars candy bar? We don't think about this, but the response from the clerk in AQ terms is a procedure. They're going to tell you, go down aisle one, take a left, bottom shelf, candy bar. And I'm satisfied because I got that advice. Now imagine my reaction if instead of a procedural answer, the clerk tells me a story about the history of Mars candy bar. You know, unless, <laughs> I'm, unless I'm on vacation, I'm going to be perturbed. Now that similar reaction happened, you know, Basically, when I was presenting the results of this research, I was not giving them the answers they wanted. They were frustrated. They didn't have you know appreciation for the meeting. So that was you know looking backwards, sort of the you know the root cause was just my frustration that I had. I wanted to influence the world around me, but I I didn't have the skills or the ability to provide the answers that would move the needle, so to speak. And that was sort of um, you know the the the, the origin story, if you will. So um, was it in your PhD program when you were working so hard that you started really diving into what coffee was for you? Uh, probably, yeah. Connecting the dots there. You know, coffee is about staying up. <laughs> for exactly. Me. That's what I'm, I think a lot of students end up yeah. having yeah. a desire for coffee, but not necessarily understanding yeah. Um, or falling into this, oh my gosh, I have to have the best coffee I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you know, it's probably multiple forces coming, combining together the need for endless coffee to stay up with, I don't know, appreciation of finer things or something without money. And, you know, a cup of coffee is something, you know, you can splurge at. Even if you don't have money as a PhD student, you could still go to the best coffee shop once, once in a while and and get a cup of actually, 
to, to fully connect this to something people don't know about me is you know, I met my wife at a coffee shop and uh, in college and um, every Sunday they used to have Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee, arguably the best coffee in the world. And it was a lot cheaper back then, but it would be the same price as a regular cup of coffee. So I'd have Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee every Sunday. And I think I was hooked after that, having this <laughs> awesome coffee. And then, uh, so that was probably the, 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 the origin of my coffee uh, addiction, I think. Your quest. It's a quest, I would say. And you kind of got spoiled. The reason I ask that is because usually there's something else going on in our lives that takes us on that path and we don't really know it until somebody specifically helps us walk back to that point. And the reason I, I am so curious about that is because it really tells a lot about a person what started them on a quest. So for instance, um, as you were talking, I was remembering I worked at a wine bar when I was in college. I had been waiting tables for a long time, but I started at this wine bar called The Wine Cellar in Fort Collins, Colorado, many, many years ago. And um, at the end of the night, if there were open bottles with not a full glass left, the bar manager, bartender, would give us samples so that we could actually know what the really good wine tasted like. And by the end of working there, I thought, oh, great. And my friend described it as this. My friend Tosh, she said, it's like having a champagne taste on a beer budget. And that's when I started this love for really good wine, even though I couldn't afford it. And that story leads you to understand a little something about me. So I love that you and your wife met at a coffee shop and that every Sunday you were treated to something Yes. outside of your normal yes. exposure. You, you know, what's interesting, you know, about, I want to mention something else that you might appreciate that, you know, the, this framework I developed around answers is six answer types. When you go to the website, raiseyouraq.com, there are answers in a circle. And it's actually a special structure called a circumplex, which means that the order of the variables have a specific relationship. Those that are adjacent are most related. Those that are opposite are least related. The circumplex structure relates to relationships and uh, between things. So there's there's um, two ways you can think about knowledge, arguably. One is foundational that knowledge is built on a foundation. So you have certain knowledge is built on other knowledge. The other way is called coherentism, where the knowledge coheres with each other. There's no foundation. So it's like the hull of a boat. When you go around the hull of a boat, how do you know something's seaworthy? There's no cracks anywhere. So what I like about what you're talking about is that the story connects to other things and you're connecting the dots. This is essentially sort of a, a nod to coherentism and that the things cohere together. And when something's really important to us, it tends to cohere together. And it's also true for different answer types. Like you can use this as a way, you know, someone's you know defining story is a window in terms of how they do procedures or they do different actions or, you know, understanding of concepts. So I'm a big believer in those kind of connections and unearthing them and finding out what they are. So for years, you know, I'll focus on metaphors again. For years, I would use this metaphor that I heard from someone else that I really liked. And it was a, a uh, consulting firm talking about being a trusted advisor. And he used to say, 
we're the third card in the Rolodex behind the lawyer and the accountant than us. You know, that conveys a certain level of trust, right? And in AQ terms, it's connecting to some basic questions. What is trust? You can answer that with that metaphor. Now, it wasn't only recently when I, I was doing some work for uh, a partner organization around trust, doing more research into the nature of trust and how it's framed, et cetera, and so forth. And um, long story short, through this research, this notion that there's certain identifying principles that define the concept of trust that are, that are related to trustworthiness. So for example, if you adhere to the value of promise making and promise keeping, that's a, a principle that supports trust, obviously, right? But there's that made me think when I was doing that, another principle of trust, why I can trust someone is because they have a fiduciary duty. And that's a, you know, a legal reason, you know, doctors and lawyers have. Now you revisit that metaphor I gave about trusted advisor and notice what he said. We're a trusted advisor behind, a, you know, the, the lawyer, you know, the, the accountant and, and, you know, the, the lawyer, the doctor, these are fiduciaries. And by extension, this firm that didn't have a fiduciary duty as a consultant, but they were grafting off of that in the metaphor. So the power of the metaphor is the connections to understanding a concept of trust, you know, so on and so forth. So it's, it's the interrelationship between the knowledge that really stitches it together and amplifies it. So I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's funny because you use the term Rolodex, which clearly ages us because I knew exactly what you're talking about. And for our listeners that are not in their um, adult, higher adult years, um, a Rolodex, if you aren't familiar, was this um, place that you would hold business cards and contact information and it would spin and it had these two little rails and you could spin it to get to the right letter of the last name or the service provider name. And I remember looking through my father's Rolodex and flipping that through. And I love just flipping it because of the sound it would make. Kind of like dialing on the old rotary phones, you know, yeah. something about the sound. But um, I, I love that on so many different levels. One of the things that you talked about early in this conversation was this idea of having all of this information and wanting to share it without really considering how these people would hear it. No, this is this is all the information I want to share it with you, but not considering what do they actually need to hear and how can I say it in a way that is true to the answer and not just saying what they want to hear. Because that's a hard one, you know, especially if you're getting paid and that person knows what they want to hear and your information may not quite fit. Well, there's, there's two points I think that are related. One is if you have the answers and you're purposely subverting those or not giving them the answers they want. That's one point. Right. My, my point is actually more fundamental than that. I couldn't connect the experiences to answers, period. So okay. the, the, the point here is like, did some work with some upward aspiring you know, female like, you know, uh, managers are moving up in Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, what they were commenting on was they're frustrated in EQ terms because their experiences were not connected to answers. So you could know as a prospective leader that, wow, I feel like I'm great and I'm not moving up. It's because your experiences are not connected to a story where you're a leader 
you know, understanding what the leadership concept is, a metaphor for leadership, how you lead a procedure, specifically action and so forth. So I was sort of navigating a world without a framework to be intentional about the response set that I was going to provide some. And that, that was the issue. Right. And and I, I hear that. And where I was going with it is, again, back to StrengthsFinder, there's a talent called context and yeah. a talent called intellection. And my husband has both. And you clearly have the intellection side of it. And what that means in in regular terms is the context is those people that are very smart about history. They yeah. read a ton about history. They deeply understand a, a concept within history, whether they're studying World War II or um, history of philosophy, whatever that is. And they end up, no matter where they are, they become the resident historian of the organization. Even if they're only there for two months, within two months, people are going to them and say, why did we do it this way? And they're like, I've only been here two months. But they just develop that rapport, that that um, reputation. And what I end up having to have the conversation with them is about is exactly what you're talking about. They have all of the answer of what the person is asking them, but they have a tendency to share all of the detail that they would want to hear rather than saying, oh, this person just wants three bullet points. They don't need all the detail that I have that I would want to answer that question. So that's where I was going with it because being able to have that concept of what are they going to do with this information? And I would need more, but what are they going to do with this information? And honestly, I mean, maybe some of those people really wanted to hear all that detail because maybe they had context in its selection. But if you're talking to me, I'd be like, what are the three bullet points? <laughs> so thank you for going going back in that direction. It, it, just a couple of comments on that. You know, it relates to, uh, in, in the original research we do is the top, with the top golf instructors in the world with, with this research, sort of had this concept of honoring the question. So basically, it was very interesting. Before this research, you know, to be honest, I thought, well, you know, I'm very analytical. I like theories and concept. These golf instructors are going to finally show me how to teach people theory and concept. But the, what they did is honor the question. So you're the top golf instructor in the world teaching someone the touring pro, but you're also teaching, you know, a weekend warrior, an executive or something like that. And the executive comes to you and says, I want to hit the ball as hard as I can so I can, you know, look good with my friends on the, you know, driving range. The golf instructors would do that. They would honor the question and say, here's how you do it. Here's the procedures and the actions. That was sort of interesting. Of course, you want to answer questions for people that, you know, they haven't thought of that they should be asking, et cetera, and so forth, but honoring the question. That's one point related to, you know, what is the question they're asking? Second, why that comes to mind is a versioning of answers. So you could have, if someone asks you a question why we're doing this, you can give them a story, but maybe you give them, you have a short, medium, and long version, right? So you have to know what people want, how long the answers need to be. So maybe, like, give me an example. You're coming to me and you're asking me, you know, how do I, how do, I do social support for mentoring, it's like a new mentoring program? I know that's your question, it's your burning need, but I might want to move up to what mentoring is real quick to make sure we're on the same page, but keep it quick. I might say, 
you know, as you know, you know, mentoring is helping people become their better future selves at work. And it consists of career support, social support, and role modeling. We went over that last week in the training. We're on the same page, right? And if they say yes, then I'll explain what social support is and how you could do like open door policy to answer their how question. But I'm quickly going up to the what to make sure we're on the same page and they just haven't completely lost it. But and the last thing I'll say with versioning is you can go shorter or you can go deeper. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we're talking about culture. Of course, I can throw out there, you know, and some metaphors can seem cliche and they can be, or, or they're actually touchstones to something basic, but making it seem profound. So I'll give you something that could be either, depending on the context. Talking about culture, I could say, you know, culture is like an iceberg, right? Things below the water. Now we want to deepen this a little bit. Now I can say, did you know, according to Archimedes' principle of buoyancy, 80% of an iceberg's mass is below water. Interesting. I'm deepening it. I'm going down the path you want to go down. Also, you're telling me. and figuratively. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Now you're telling me about things about icebergs, and we're we're spending 20 minutes talking about icebergs and culture because we both are interested in it. Because I was able to do versioning, and that just, you know, provide some dump of information that wasn't of interest. Right. So when was a moment when you applied this, especially in your personal life? Because I know that everything I learn from my personal life translates into stuff that I use for my clients. It always has um, clients and workplaces. And the opposite is absolutely true. So when was a time where you were with a family member, close friend that you took that step back and realized that you were giving them answers they didn't hear or because uh, I've, I could give you dozens of examples with my kids. <laughs> you know, I'll say, um, well, about you can give them the answers people don't want to hear, you know, I mean, going back to my original story, you know, analyzing what I did wrong was, you know, I was very interested in analytical answers, theory and concepts about the way the world works. And when I would go talk to these executives, I'd be spewing out the academic research and going into depth about terms that they had no idea what I was talking about, talking about statistical analyses of these, and it was too much. And that's, you know, looking backwards, what my mistake was. They were less interested in the theoretical, and I didn't present it in a way that they can engage them, because I didn't talk about how they could use it. And I was very good at stories and metaphors, but I wasn't bringing those in. It was a very one-dimensional conversation. And the, you know, fast forward a little bit further in terms of my teaching, I would teach concepts like negotiation and leadership and you know culture and organizational behavior classes, and I was the professor that didn't have a textbook. I would assign them academic articles to undergraduates, you know, at one point, and you know, of course, they didn't like this. They were, they wanted to answer the how question. Many people want to go after the how question, you know. So I sort of it took me a while to realize that need to ask and answer all the questions and, and usually for important conversations and you need to be balanced and look at what people care about. And it just took me, you know, this research to realize what I was doing. And up until that point, it, nothing seemed, you know, astray. So th- those are some examples of where I was just going, you know, one dimensional with my question and answer framing. And when did you apply that at home? Or a time where you were like, oh, oh, I'll give you an example. Um, my husband and I both have command in our top strengths. And I I knew that for years. I've been doing, I've been working with 
probably over a thousand people with this tool. And I know what all of these talents mean, but I rarely look back at the results of the people in my family because yeah. I, I, I feel like I know them, right? Well, one day we were in the kitchen and I love to cook. Both of us are love to cook. And I was making dinner and he came in and he started adding something to one of the pots on the stove yeah. without asking me. Just went in and started, I don't know, yeah. seasoning something. And I looked at him and and maybe my day had gone a little sideways, whatever. I reacted and I, I just said, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I just added. And I said, oh, okay, well, if you're going to cook, I'll go do something else. And I started to leave the kitchen and he said, wait, what, what are you? And I said, well, if you want to cook, I have plenty of other stuff to do. I'm self-employed. I have plenty of other stuff to do. And I was really frustrated. And I walked out and I didn't know really why I was so irritated by it, but I was really upset by it. And we had kind of a, an awful conversation and it was really full of tension and conflict. And I was hurt. I was really hurt and angry. And I, I still look back and like, well, I might have overreacted a little, but the, the response was pretty reasonable. But I remember a few days later walking into the kitchen and he was making a fried egg and the right. heat was on under the frying pan. He likes to cook under very high heat. And I, I don't do that. I never cooked in a professional kitchen like that. So I, I was never in a hurry. Um, always in a hurry, but never in a hurry. And um, I reached to turn the heat down without asking him and then yanked my hand back as if I had touched the flame. I was so startled. Um, I hadn't, and I he didn't see me do that. But I said, um, that heat's really high. The butter might burn. Do you want me to turn it down? And he said, no, I've got it. And I said, okay. And I walked out of the kitchen. And yes, it burned. But that wasn't mine. It had nothing to do with me. I wasn't cooking. And I remember this sudden moment where I realized, oh, we both have command. So this pattern of friction had developed over time. And the, what command looks like is when we walk into a room and we perceive a lack of leadership, mm -hmm. we have to make sense of it. We make order out of chaos. It's what we do. It's our natural instinctive way of solving a problem is just fixing it, making sense of it. And when he walked into the kitchen that evening, for some reason, he perceived some chaotic energy in there. And so he immediately went to resolve that chaotic energy. Now he walks into the kitchen and I can see the wheels turning. I know what that command looks like. I own it myself. And I will look at him and say, so I have this under control. This is what I'm doing. If you want to help, please wash the lettuce. I don't like washing lettuce for salad. Yeah. So it was that understanding of, oh my gosh, I can use this tool and resolve this pattern of conflict I've had. We're, we're about to celebrate 26 years of marriage. And this was like a year ago. <laughs> so that's a long time to go with a pattern of conflict. But I had to apply what I knew from my work to be able to uncover that and then to make an adjustment to my approach. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think, you know, with me, oftentimes a lot of the use of the AQ framework is is, is subtle and simple. Um, it's about framing things in terms of basic questions and answers. I want to make, make a point here and just make a, a quick connection to this. Look at the great professors throughout time. 
they oftentimes like to teach introductory classes. Take a look at Einstein, for example. Introductory classes. You had to translate the complexity into simple terms. Tell them stories about this, metaphors, simple procedures and actions you could use, etc. and so forth. So whenever we're an expert at something, can we communicate in terms of simplicity? In any framework, take strength finders or disk or anything like that, or any other framework serving leadership. And really your command of it is demonstrated through your ability to transform the framework into simple, natural language questions and answers. So as you're speaking, it sort of reminds me of, you know, asking who are you? You you are the questions and answers you ask yourself. You know, what does it mean to be, you know, an intellectualizer? Or in DISC, what does it mean to be a high D? Why is a high D important? How do you do a high D like when you're in a kitchen or a, you know? Right. How does that show up in your everyday life? And this is not a trivial thing about the ability to transform a technical framework into language other people can understand. For example, I was working with a a master DISC uh, certified trainer. And I simply asked him, you know, what is it like to work with you? How do I work with you? Why do I work with you? And he was struggling with these basic questions. And you could reframe them in DISC terms or it could be reframed in strength finder terms. You know, how do you work with a high D? Why do you work with a high D? You know, what is it, you know. What value do they bring? What value to bring, et cetera. And with this, this high D person in DISC, you know, I then asked him, what is it like, you know, what is a high D? He could answer the concept fairly well, and I suspect most can with frameworks like defining what a high D is and breaking it down into pieces. Sure. But he struggled with a metaphor. And I tried to help him and knowing the framework, I said, well, it seems like uh, you're, you're high D, you're very direct. Thank you for, you know, explaining that concept to me. And it seems like, you know, as a metaphor, you like to go from point A to point B. You know, that's like my that. <laughs> he said, yeah, he said, no, that's not right. I like to go from point A to point Z, skipping everything in between. Now, that was a powerful metaphor for who he was. But the point that I surfaced with him was you didn't tell that to me until we started going through this discussion. If that was so identity-centric. Start with that. You, you should know it. So, you know, if you're a controller or an intellectualizer and strengths finder, you know, Define it as a concept. What is the metaphor of it for you? Why is it important in terms of the story? What is the theory of the cause and effect relationship? And discuss procedures and actions you can use in any circumstance or individual circumstances like cooking. And what you often find is that to go from the intellectual framework to more natural language overlay is a big jump for people. And that's ultimately where people live and interact with each other is in natural language rather than intellectual framework. Yeah. And has there been a time now you're married, right? Yes. Was there a time when you had one of those aha moments with your spouse? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if I can think of an aha moment, but you know, I, I'm sure there are, but Lyman, how, how has your yeah, how has your relationship changed as a result of you having not just the framework, but the language to to understand where these things are coming from and and why well that helps me navigate things so for example if my wife tells me a story you know now i have the language to understand well what's the key concept of the story can you explain it to me i I thought it was innovation is that what you intended you know she can yes or no agree 
And then I could ask, well, you're telling this story because it's in the context of our children and about how we want to parent them in terms of, um, you know, setting limits. And then I might move to a procedure and say, well, that's an interesting concept. So it seems to me in terms of, you know, procedure, maybe these are three steps we should outline for our child about how we should talk about, you know, um, I don't know, the responsibility in life or something like that. So it gives you this simple framework to think about and discuss things. And at first blush, it may sound like, well, this is obvious, but it, but it, it's a lot of things are, you know, hiding in plain sight. It, and, you know, as an example of that, reflect on a meeting you've had with others. And many of us had meetings that in AQ terms, basically are story time. You know, Joe tells a story, Susan tells a story, Tom tells a story, we're 45 minutes into a meeting, it adjourns. We have the sense that something happened, but also the sense that it didn't happen. In AQ terms, the sense is really, we navigated a conversation really not intentionally, and we focus on the why question of the story, but we didn't move to other answer types, like you know how we're going to implement this or getting clarification on the concept. So it was really just sort of like, rudderless conversation floating down the stream and wherever we went, we went. And my experience with my conversations is the opposite. I can, you know, I, I understand the different questions and answers and how to navigate it as opposed to just drifting. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And uh, I think that also makes the case for um, any, any of these assessments or just knowing people well enough to understand that you need a variety of these talents on your team because we need the the Brian who's going to bring it back together and we need what is your wife's name? Jen. We need Jen to make those relationship connections. And um and having both at the table it means that we're actually going to get something done. But if we only have Jen or we only have Brian's we're never going to move forward. It's just going to be, you're surrounding yourself with people who are just like you. And right. we all know how damaging that is to innovation and creativity. Yeah. I think I'll add to that. So, you know, it's, you know, the thing we're saying is strength finders, you have different strengths, you bring your different strengths to the situation. That's good. And, um, and I think that in AQ terms, a lot of the different questions might be associated with different kind of strengths. You know, when I'm, mm-hmm. Focus on a theory and concept, you know, very analytical. And there's probably, you know, a bucket for me within Strength Finder. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Obviously. <laughs> but I'd also say this another thing that I like to advocate is that even though we may have our strengths and preferences and et cetera and so forth, to navigate the world effectively, we have to be able to ask and answer all the questions. And this is so simple but true. So you can be the great storyteller, but if I can't transform that into an action, you know, for someone, it's not going to work. You can't just be one dimensional. So that's, uh, you know, another piece of this, uh, discussion. And I'm not sure how strength finders, uh, exist, but I'd, uh, you tell me, I'd imagine there's a, a blended approach where you need to be strong on a subset of things that determine who you are, but then you're going to have your preferences. So it's a little bit of you know, breadth and depth. Is that, is that fair or is it? Yeah, that's fair. You really, um, there are 34 themes. Right. So, I mean, the, any combination of your themes, you're really looking at your top five or six in terms of your go-to 
um, approach. Yeah. But what I love about it, the reason I'm even part of this, I'm not one of these cheerleaders that joins onto something and becomes part of the the cult of Strengths Finder. I have found um, that other Strengths Finder coaches have also helped me with this concept. There's a woman named Lisa Cummings who also happens to be a Strengths Finder coach and musician. So we have a lot in common. She gave me this image of an amplifier mm-hmm. and you have these dials zero to 10 mm-hmm. and each of your top talents, six to 10 or so are maybe seven, eight, nine, and 10 are your, your secondary top talents, but your top five or six are the ones that you, that your brain naturally goes to and using those with intention and understanding, like for instance, you have this context and intellection and learner and, um, analytical. So you probably have mostly the, um, what, what are referred to as the strategic thinking, um, talents. That doesn't mean you don't know how to build relationships. It means that you can adjust the dials. So for instance, if your context is on high and you're giving all this information and you notice because you're a keen observer of humanity, that's what you do is you observe humans. You're brilliant at it. This is why you're so good at what you do and why your book is so powerful. And if you're observing and you realize that this person's feet are starting to turn the other direction, they're not facing you anymore, and they're kind of glancing down at their phone or their watch, you can turn down the dial on the context and turn up the dial on your learner, Mm -hmm. which means, oh, I need to learn what answer isn't landing with them. So you're still using your strategic thinking. You're mm-hmm. just directing it in a way that's going to help you communicate better with the person in front of you because you notice. But the the issue is always, if you don't know this about yourself, and, and clearly you are very self-reflective, Brian, there's no doubt in my mind that you know where you get in your own way. Uh, but many people don't, and they think it's something they said, or it's somebody else's fault, or they just misunderstood me, which happens a lot. What happens is that if they don't understand that their answers aren't landing because of the way they're presenting, because they're not paying attention to the signals somebody's giving them, then they just continue down that path. And they they don't make those adjustments to those dials so that they can improve things. It makes sense. Let me ask you a question, Sarah. And if I could, it's based on some previous conversations I've had. You think about tools. So let's say Strength Finder is a tool, AQ is a tool, DISC is a tool, a lot of tools out there. And tools go in the toolbox. And the toolbox, you know, has space, it's not a limited space. In your estimation, you know, why do you think Strength Finders is an important tool to be in the toolbox if indeed the the metaphor I'm providing is something palatable you can engage on. You know, how do you think about tools in the toolbox and, 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 and you know, the like? I'd be curious on how do you, you respond to that. That's such a good question. I love that because I immediately imagine the toolbox at the, in our downstairs where I have drawers and yeah. one, one big bucket at the top where you put like the hammer and then the drawers that have the, um, screwdrivers in one and then the pliers in the other and whatever. So I imagine um, any of the assessments that are accurate, which could be DISC, StrengthsFinder, Myers-Briggs, whatever, 
any of those, they don't all need to be in the toolbox. Right. But one of them needs to be in there, not by itself. See, that's the, I think that's the the problem I have is it would be like having a hammer and that's it in your right. toolbox. And the, as they say, the metaphor, everything's going to look like a nail if all you have is a hammer. Well said. And if you have that, that strengths finder or disc or assessment with a coach or somebody, it doesn't even have to be somebody that is um, that you hire, but somebody who can reflect the answers back to you mm -hmm. so that you're holding up a mirror in a really healthy way. Far too many times we take an assessment, we say, oh yeah, that's me. And then we dismiss the results because we don't see the practical application of it. And in order to see the practical application, we have to talk through the results and see where this is already showing up, where we can use it to the best of our ability because it's our natural instinctive way of thinking and it's beautiful. How can we use it so that it is a benefit and not a burden? Hmm. And that was well said, I think. Makes, uh, makes sense from my perspective, the idea that you know, you have multiple tools in the toolbox and you, you don't need all the tools and you need the right set of tools. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, thanks for, thanks, thanks for that question. <laughs> That's a good question. Of course, you know how to ask all the good questions. Um, and as we wrap this up, I just have to do a shout out to Jens Madsen over at City College of New York, because this conversation has been having all these light bulbs flashing in my head. He is a social scientist as well and studies um, the impact of story and music on our physiological body and brain. So he studies neurology and biochemistry and he, he asks a lot of questions. He's eternally curious. And this is part of why I love interviewing scientists because they're always curious and they're always searching not just for answers but for the right question to ask so brian thank you so much for your time as we wrap this up um you mentioned the website the yes. website the, if you want to learn more there's a website raiseyouraq.com there's a book there's a free Explore AQ test. If you want to take that, you can get a nice 10-page PDF report uh, for free. So raiseyouraq.com. Thank you, Sarah. Great. And um, I know I'm going to want to dive into your book. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to read that. And of course, we will have a link to all of this in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. It has been such an interesting conversation, so full of questions and answers, which of course is the best way to learn anything. Now it's your turn, listeners. How are you answering the questions that people are asking you? Are you considering all the ways that they are taking in your answers? Because if you're not, then that's kind of the opposite of active listening. So thank you again, listeners, for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still...
smile.